and welcome to Technically Speaking, where scientists and engineers come together to chat about a common interest, share knowledge and satisfy some curiosity. I'm Laura and I'm joined by Emma and Antonia to talk about vaccines and how they're developed. So Emma, you're doing research in biophysics, which I guess relates to some of the biological processes that involve vaccine development. But does vaccine work feature in your research at all? It doesn't feature directly in my research, but my research is about drug design and kind of has a strong healthcare motivation. And so I do find it very compelling to read about it. And also my master's was on antimicrobial resistance. So I feel like my research interest is very healthcare oriented. So I like keeping up to date with things. And I think the recent discoveries in new vaccines and, you know, the Nobel Prize um, kind of is keeping it really relevant. So it's nice to stay on top of it, I think. Yeah, I agree. Wider research, wider reading when you're doing research is always helpful, especially if you're at a conference and it just mm-hmm. happens to come up. Yeah. Cool. And Antonia, I know we I've said this many times before, your background's a bit different. You work in sustainability, but I can see that you would have an interest in vaccines. What's your take on this? So my interest comes from a couple of places. One was when I was at uni and looking at international development, the talk of vaccines and healthcare and access to healthcare was something quite important and kind of, I don't know, taken taken for granted in, in developed countries. Um, so when, when, you know, COVID came around and the COVID vaccine was being developed, I heard mumblings from, you know, people who... I wouldn't say come from a science background saying they don't trust it because it was developed too fast. And from my experience and seeing how there are standards to things, there's processes, I did kind of have faith or I trusted in the process having been followed. And that kind of was at odds with what some people kind of thinks you know science is supposed to be about process not feelings and I guess I kind of felt like people would have followed the right process for for vaccine development. Yeah, that's interesting because I would have said the same thing I, I paid not a lot of attention to the development process way back when before I had the injections and I just figured obviously there are so many people around the world working on this they must know what they're doing they wouldn't Mm-hmm. mass produce this thing that would be incredibly unsafe right but i mean that kind of leads to the question what is the covid vaccine and how was it so rapidly developed is this something you might know something about emma yes hopefully i hope i can explain it well enough to um for those that don't know this um 2023 nobel prize in physiology or medicine was awarded for the mRNA vaccine. So in terms of popular kind of science, it's kind of right here at the moment. And it was happening a lot. Uh, Maybe if they won the Nobel Prize in 2020, people wouldn't have suspected so much. I think people hadn't heard enough about it, but people here around about Nobel Prizes. And so why they got the Nobel Prize was for the development of the mRNA vaccine against COVID-19. But if you look into the history of mRNA vaccines, you know, I'm reading that in the 1990s, a flu vaccine was tested on mice that was mRNA and then in humans in 2013. And so it has been tested for different viruses, you know, for years, like 
decades even. And uh, it was actually found that they used it for another kind of pandemic, epidemic, uh, for Ebola virus um, as well. The um, mRNA vaccines were developed. And so it's been used and it's been around, but I think people were afraid because also COVID-19 is very similar to flu or a cold and there isn't a vaccine for that. So I think people also were kind of scared about that. But um, I don't think many people that were afraid did much research into what an mRNA vaccine is and how it works and how it's safe. mRNA, that's messenger RNA. So it's kind of related to DNA, but it's not the same. Yeah, they're not the same. So yeah, messenger RNA or mRNA is one of the types of RNA and RNA is different to DNA, even though they sound similar because DNA is this double-stranded helix structure that we know and it's very stable, it's very strong, it's it's long and it you know is passed through generations. Uh, whereas RNA is kind of a temporary section of DNA, but it's single-stranded. And so it's made to replicate the DNA um, gene structure onto this smaller segment that can be used and passed into different processes around the cells. Um, so you're not using that DNA to do all these processes. You're using it as kind of like a template copy. Uh, and that's how mRNA is used around the cells. But you have different types of RNA which have similar kind of temporary functions. But a lot of people also took this RNA to be DNA and that you were injecting yourself with some form of DNA that would also change your DNA, which is not possible, but also RNA is very kind of safe. It's actually not a stable structure in itself. And so once it's achieved its job, it does kind of degrade anyways. Right. So when I first heard about how this was developed, I have no idea how this didn't come off my radar at all until well after the fact. But I thought, hang on, that involves gene editing technology in some way. Mm -hmm. How did I not know this? (laughs) So I'm not... Just had different priorities at that time, I guess. Yeah, it just seems odd that it didn't even pop up on my newsfeed at all, because stuff I'm interested in does. Mm -hmm. And this is something that I'm interested in. But uh, the the gene editing side of it, I initially thought, oh, that does actually sound a little bit scary, and I've already had the injections, so it clearly isn't. (laughs) But do do you know what the basis for it is and how that works, how it featured in the research? Yeah, I think, well, I know the mRNA itself is like, when it's in the vaccine, it's encased in kind of some lipid, so like fat droplet, and that's encased in. But how do they get the mRNA? Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it's using some form of plasmids and some circular DNA cutting and editing like they do for isolating genes from and different DNA sequences. Um, you know, for insulin development, they use bacteria and like gene edit, put the coding gene for insulin in, and that allows you to reproduce many, many insulin proteins. And so I think it's using plasmids and like restriction enzymes. I'm saying actually a lot of biology stuff now. So I need to maybe <laughs> calm down. Um, <laughs> but I think it is to do with, I don't want to just use an umbrella umbrella term of gene editing, but it's a very kind of well-oiled machine, I think, in biology to swap out a gene and to produce a certain gene and to get a bit of DNA that codes for a particular gene, I think is very well understood and well practiced because it makes up basically all of the drug research that is going on. Okay. So I have a vague memory of it sort of, it made your cells produce Mm -hmm. 
the protein that your immune system could then develop a response to. So rather than you having the whole virus or a weakened form of the virus is what I know of um, traditional vaccines as. It's just a different way of having the same effect to develop an immune response. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the mRNA vaccine, um, the piece of RNA that's temporary code in COVID-19 coded for the spike protein on the outside of COVID-19. And so when you had the vaccine, uh, you would then produce that protein. You're not producing the virus. You're not producing the DNA of the virus. You're not producing any of the kind of viral particles. You're just producing this protein on the outside. And then that serves as the kind of red flag for your immune response to develop the antibodies to then destroy that spike protein. And so when you were infected with COVID-19, then you would have this kind of response already in your system. And it is very similar to typical vaccines, which um, I was reading more about. Uh, and everyone knows, well, I thought everyone knew the famous story of uh, Edward Jenner and his cowpox, smallpox revelation that I guess... I have not heard of this. No. <laughs> No, me neither. So it's it's like a, a story time. Um, and so I was, re- <laughs> I was reading into it and uh, smallpox was a very deadly disease um, in, I think, the 18th century. But also throughout history, actually, apparently. So maybe it was always a problem. Um, but then they found, uh, they being the doctors of the time, I guess, found a method to make it less dangerous and less deadly when you were infected with it. And that's um, during this process called variolation and if you look into what that is it's kind of gross because it's where people who had smallpox would kind of rub their boils onto non non-infected people oh, <laughs> which wow. is pretty grim lovely but then they would have they would be infected a little bit but not fully and so then they could have um an immune response to it but they didn't know that at the time they just knew that this worked and people still got it but less people died from it but then uh, there was um, milkmaids who were working with cows who would get cowpox. And then that's a less deadly disease than smallpox. And so the milkmaids would recover from this. And Edward Jenner noticed that they weren't getting smallpox or they weren't dying from smallpox. And so he related this kind of relationship to this variolation method and was like, well, if we had a weakened form of the virus, which is what cowpox is to smallpox, and expose people to that, then they wouldn't... I don't know if you knew the ins and outs of why that works, but then they would have an immune response and then wouldn't have these deadly effects of cowpox, smallpox. I keep on remembering milkmaids, <laughs> cows. <laughs> smallpox, not cows. Um, which form the basis for vaccines as we know it. And like you said, Laura, with these traditional vaccines being weak or dead was the word that I was taught or like weakened attenuated I think is the correct term form of the virus which I think is more scary than having a little piece of RNA considering we already have RNA and DNA in our system but maybe that's just me I don't know but if it's dead inverted commas isn't that kind of it's ineffective it it can't actually do what it's supposed to do although what is a dead virus anyway what does that even mean does that mean it it's like taken away some of its effectiveness at doing what it does to kill your your cells and multiply 
Well, a virus it lives to reproduce itself, doesn't it? It sort of inserts itself into your cells and uses that to create more virus particles. That's like that's why we talk about computers getting infected with viruses because they replicate. Mm. Mm-hmm. But I don't think they're actually alive. I think that's a bit of a misnomer. Computer viruses and viruses that infect people and animals alike. They're not alive. Yeah. <laughs> they just reproduce. What I thought attenuated was, was that you've weakened the virus so much that it can replicate slower. Like it can't have this effect where it takes over your body and because they've made some part of the replication process not work somehow for attenuated viruses. Dead viruses, I don't know if that's just what they tell you when you're younger so you don't get scared <laughs> of a virus or a vaccine. I feel like that's a bit like saying you're being injected with dead bodies though. Which sounds worse. I don't know why. Like a virus but with little X's <laughs> over its where its eyes would be just laid into your body and just kind of like, look, that's what the rest of them look like. Remember this. You are now a virus graveyard. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I had read that one way of uh, weakening or attenuating them is to get them to reproduce in um, a different life form, like chick embryos, I think is quite a common one because the virus gets so used to replicating in that environment that it then struggles to replicate in a different host mm-hmm. hmm. but your body can still pick up on like the proteins or whatever's on the outside and form an immune response so very much alive just not able to do what it wants to do yeah alive it's not dead i should stop using that phrase really <laughs> yeah but yeah it sounds like there are a bunch of different ways of doing it and i guess they're not super relevant there's no need to go into all the details of it i think it's just worth knowing that essentially they're not able to do what a virus wants to do which is to replicate itself while also affecting what your body does. This is what I don't quite get. What is the benefit to it in effectively damaging the host? Gets into your cells, starts replicating itself, and then you get really ill. Is that just some unfortunate side effect? Like, wouldn't it be better for the virus to, to if you didn't know it was there? Yeah, maybe it's a side effect. I think it is accidental. I think it's like taking over your cells to use that energy and then it replicates. But may- actually, you know what? I don't know about biology, so I'm not no, going to say anymore. No, I think you're right. I think, I think that's what I would say it was as well. Like you, I think also when viruses reproduce, they produce like toxins to you, that, you know, some kind of intermediate process that they have. And so you start, you feel the effects of that. Um, and so I think it is a side effect. They are not being affected by their own replication process. They didn't mean to kill us. They just happened to. <laughs> or maybe they did. No, I think they did mean to. Viruses fe- feel quite malicious because they require other people to, you know, replicate. Yeah, but you could say that about the humans on Earth. You know, we take the resources so we can live as a byproduct. The Earth is depleted of its resources, but we're not actively trying to do that, are we? or are we <laughs> maybe. Maybe. I guess the main difference is like the virus isn't sentient right it's not deliberately intentionally thing yes we will kill all humans true it's just doing its thing it's just following thermodynamics and biochemistry <laughs> yeah <laughs> wow yeah 
It's just for following its programming. I guess so. Uh, that makes it seem like it's been programmed to do a specific thing, though, which is kind of, I assume, which is kind of evolved in some way. Isn't that what DNA and RNA kind of are, though? It, that It's kind of its programming. Yeah. yeah, it's in its nature. I guess when you say that, it always suggests that there is some like mastermind behind it all. You know, like, computer programs are written by people. Yeah. But uh, maybe that's just me. Who wrote the genetic code, yeah. <laughs> I also... I thought it was interesting as well because I remember it was a very long time ago and also I think everyone blocked out from their memory. But when COVID was happening, after people had their first you know, wave of vaccines, there was Omicron that was coming about that was spreading faster and not being 100% effective on the vaccines. And so I just did, I did a bit of research into what Omicron actually was and it was several mutations in the spike protein so that's why the mrna vaccine was less effective against omicron uh. because it was slightly different and mutated it's not like it still worked to an extent but maybe wasn't as quick or wasn't as effective and so but i don't know if regular covid vaccines because there was a few that were developed in the regular way i don't know if they were more effective against these small mutations or just equally as affected like in in a question of efficiency and durability to mutation i would guess that mrna vaccines don't feel as versatile as regular vaccines because they're only able to replicate that one particular protein they're less likely to be able to adapt yeah Yeah, that makes sense but these proteins which the rna is made of that was what i was confused about i wanted to ask actually earlier yeah I don't think the RNA is made of proteins. It it helps code for proteins. It's made of nucleic acids. Oh, okay. Um, So the RNA only gives a specific instruction for a specific protein. So if we just so happen to not have that exact protein in that virus, it wouldn't be recognisable to the body. Yeah, proteins... And this this is my research, so hopefully I can answer this well but proteins are very complex 3d structures and Mm. so if you even if you do have an amino acid substitution and so a mutation uh whether that actually changes the um whether you have a base substitution sorry so three bases code for one amino acid that's just the dna to amino acid protein coding relation if you have a mutation in one of those bases it could still code for the same amino acid um, some of the mutations don't have uh, an effect on the final amino acid sequence. Some of them do, um, and then it could change the amino acid you have, but whether it changes it from a charged amino acid to an uncharged one um, depends on the mutation. And so if you change it to an amino acid of the same amino acid subtype, it's likely that the protein will still fold in a similar way and still still have a similar structure. And so it can still be complementary. It won't be exact, but it should still have some form of similar structure but that's getting into a debate of structure versus function in proteins which is very kind of complex but essentially not all mutations have will have a noticeable effect on the protein that's produced but sometimes it will have a massive effect it just depends on the specific mutation You've got me thinking about how the immune system recognises the proteins now. Because the little I know about it, because I sort of came across it during my own PhD because it was um, atomistic simulations mm-hmm. and trying to get an accurate representation of all the atoms and how they fit together in a protein. 
is a huge field in itself. So just figuring out the structure of it is quite difficult. But surely the immune system only latches onto like one part of the protein because there are lots of different parts that can do different things. Is that right? Or are they looking for like multiple different things and that's how it could be effective against Omicron, but just not as effective? I think for the regular vaccine, it's looking for just the virus. But the telltale of... But I think the, the spike protein is not the only protein on the surface of COVID. Hmm. There's different ones that are present that can be recognised by the immune system if it was in a vaccine form. Whereas the spike protein, I think, is very specific and very central to the the identity of COVID-19. But that's why the mutations in it had more effect on the mRNA. I mean, I I don't know. I don't think there was much popularity in the non-mRNA vaccines with COVID because by the time the other vaccines had gone into kind of passed all their checks, everyone had most likely been vaccinated already with mRNA. And so could you you had to continue that vaccine regime rather than mixing the two different types? Yes, yeah. Yeah, you did, yeah. That's actually interesting now that I think about it, because I didn't I don't think I thought about it when it was happening. <laughs> Why you couldn't mix I just thought of it as, yeah, like kind of like the whole booster vac- vaccine mm-hmm. aspect. Although that's something else I don't understand about vaccines. Mm-hmm. When you first get inoculated, you have a booster in a short time. And then the immunity period lasts way longer if you have that second reminder. Is that because after, you know, 12 months, your body's just like chucked out that information? But if it gets it twice, it goes, right, I'll I'll store this in uh, long-term memory for like decades. Hmm. That's interesting. I guess I'm not sure on the reason why but i think when you have another when you have your booster you're then re-reminded to produce more and so maybe there is a kind of cellular memory well there is a cellular memory because that's how vaccines work but maybe there's more kind of it's a bit more special than we think well more than i know i'm sure somebody somebody does know about it (laughs) i have a very weird meta question kind of in relation to that the original gene editing concept, didn't it come from something to do with either viruses? It was bacteria protecting themselves against viruses, wasn't it? And they had some DNA that could kind of like snip a bit of the virus DNA and incorporate that into itself so it could then uh-huh. recognise it in the future. So we've sort of taken hmm. a bacterial defence mechanism against viruses and used it in a more sophisticated way to protect people against viruses. Am I remembering that correctly? Hmm, I think so. This, the method is right. The method is, yeah. Good. What they do. I learned something, yes. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and I, I can start to see now why the development rate of um, the COVID vaccine was so much quicker than the more traditional methods that mm-hmm. use it a weakened or an attenuated form. Because if you have to get 100 or 200 replications in a chick embryo or whatever you're using to get that weakened virus... Mm-hmm. That takes time. Yeah. But if you're just using this genetic-based technology, I can see how that's sort of like a one, almost like a one-shot. There's a lot of development into it, obviously. But it's a simpler method if you've got some experience with the gene editing side of it to figure out what the mRNA should look like. Yeah, and when I was reading into it, it was a lot of the like trials for developing a regular vaccine. It was several stages of this attenuation of the vaccine and so you would do it once 
and then that would take a while and then you do it again and then again and then your vaccine is properly attenuated and ready for insertion insertion into the vaccine but also i think these the weaker viruses as well um can have a smaller success rate of actually making it i don't know how to say making it into the the vaccine properly but you know, it's it's a virus that can degrade in the environment that it's in. Whereas I feel like mRNA, everyone knows, everyone's people have been storing mRNA and DNA for years. And so it's kind of less complex of a structure. That's kind of just, I feel like that's a little bit of my own speculation. But I feel like in terms of from, you know, when people say from like from farm to table in like <laughs> restaurants, I feel like it's like from lab to arm. It's a, it's a shorter <laughs> period. But I also I was looking into those as well, and I it's it's it is more expensive to develop an mRNA vaccine. Is that because it requires, I guess, a different type of expertise or a different approach or the ability to understand the gene editing? It's called CRISPR, isn't it? Side of it. Whereas um, weakening a virus is pretty well established. There actually is a breakdown of the cost, and the largest difference in the price is the material cost. So it must oh, be much okay. cheaper to get viruses than it is to like, obviously make an mRNA sequence. And also, I guess, find the specific sequence of the protein as well would also be quite expensive. And the other percentages for everything else is similar, except the capital charge is a lot less for mRNA vaccines. So I guess. I don't really know what they mean by that, actually. I feel like I don't know much, much about business. Like, what is capital charge? That's a business question. <laughs> I don't know what that is. That's normally your initial upfront costs to sort of like set up a lab. I guess, yeah, maybe because more labs are set up mm-hmm. for traditional vaccines and mRNA wasn't that common vaccine development pathway, no. was it? Maybe in the future, no. if it's more established, standardised, we'll all be doing it like I work in a lab that handles yeah. DNA and viruses. <laughs> <laughs> Royal we. The collective we of society. <laughs> there also is a significantly 20% to around 2% for mRNA vaccines of others cost. I don't know what others is, but it's, it's so much cheaper for mRNA vaccines. But yeah, the... Okay. Material cost is the main difference. And I guess if we're talking about more labs getting into this, that might mean that vaccines would be developed for um, other infections that we don't yet have vaccines for. Do you know much about that? I thought it was I thought it was interesting when I was thinking about it because if I think of a virus that has taken over kind of in healthcare, I always think of HIV. It's a very dangerous virus because it does change. It changes its uh, protein on the outside often. And so regular viruses, by the time you have developed it, it's changed. Um, Whereas mRNA vaccines, although they do also code for the protein on the outside, they can be developed quicker. And so would it be possible to develop a vaccine for using mRNA for a protein at an instance in time? Develop it quick enough so the HIV hasn't had time to kind of mutate significantly by that point and then you could essentially have some form of a temporary vaccine for hiv and so i was looking into it and it was from february the 20th of 2023 there was an article about an mrna vaccine um for hiv where there's kind of things in tests and things in process so i feel like we're kind of just maybe even just at the start of it all maybe there's tests going on right now for it and even different vaccines as well but I feel like that would be pretty nice to finally cure HIV in this 
because it can be developed quicker. And if there's especially more kind of efforts from labs and more money into it, maybe it could be even more quicker as well. Yeah, that brings us back to the whole financial side of, is it lucrative for labs to invest in this? I mean, the, the coronavirus pandemic, there was obviously a huge incentive for all these labs around the world to pretty much drop what they were doing and work together effectively to develop something. Whereas now we're sort of, we're out of that panicked stage and it's uh, it's become sort of more normalised, a bit like HIV is to an extent. I hate to say that because HIV has been around for a long time and it does have a huge effect on the people that have it. Yeah. But it just makes it seem like they may just kind of continue almost plodding along without that incentive. I think I'm just really pessimistic here, though. <laughs> I suppose the mRNA vaccine development has probably been enough of a change in the whole scene that it could reinvigorate people to to find a solution because it could be that everyone kind of went okay using this method just the difficulty of trying to achieve Mm -hmm. it and they needed some innovation Mm -hmm. i think i get what you mean so if i'm saying that the capital cost the, the cost of setting up a lab to do this is quite high well some labs have i guess already done that so if they've already got that capability, they may as well mm-hmm. carry on using it. Is that a fair summary, or have I misunderstood? Uh, kind of, kind of more like they hit a wall in development against HIV, but now there's a new method that people can try out. It's like when you get a new toy, you go, ah, let's figure out all the different ways that I can do this or or a new tool, and then you like, how does it work in this way? Does it change how I do this? And then you move on so it could be a new tool in the different ways of developing vaccine toolbox yeah and i guess like i've heard that um when you get your, your flu shot the winter jabs every year to figure out what to put in that jab they they kind of effectively guess at what mutation might be most prevalent for the influenza virus oh interesting yeah and i w- i didn't know that yeah I wonder if that kind of relates to you saying the HIV virus mutates quite rapidly. I wonder if there's some sort of parallel there in figuring out what the mutation may be. Yeah. Here's another basic question about vaccines is how similar do they have to be to still be considered the same virus? Because Uh if the HIV virus evolves, how is it still HIV? That's interesting. I feel like my mind, which this doesn't apply to viruses, but it's the classical definition of what is a species and it's two individuals that can't reproduce to have fertile offspring but you can't reproduce viruses and they can't have fertile offspring so i feel like i'm not sure what the definition is for a virus especially specific virus to whether it's just a different strain unless that's what h i mean maybe hiv is kind of the group term for no it's a specific virus name to be fair i guess it goes back to the ship of theseus philosophy question if if you keep replacing the bits is it still the same ship? I thought it was a broom. Is that like another reference? I feel like it's another reference. If you change, you've had this broom, somebody's like, I've had this broom for 20 years. I've changed the head 17 times and the yeah. the stem five times. That, that is from... Uh, is that the same broom? Yeah, it's from Only Fools and Horses, I think. From like, is that the 80s or 90s? Oh, wow. It's from when I was a I'm kid. Surprised, I'm surprised that's a <laughs> reference point of mine. <laughs> But yeah, maybe it's the same virus then, if you replace the protein. But if the other protein and the old mutation is no longer in circulation, it doesn't make sense to include that as a part of the conversation if you are, you know, viral. Viral scientist doesn't sound right. Scientists studying... Virologists? Viruses. 
and I would imagine part of the definition might be based on the effect that it has. Because you have, you keep hearing like, you know, uh, a stomach bug could be caused by a virus and that would only infect your stomach and make you like mm-hmm. hideously ill and vomiting. Whereas SARS-CoV was initially thought to be a respiratory yeah. virus, so it only affected how you breathe. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's part of how they figure out and what it infects as well, because some viruses only affect certain organisms, don't they? Yeah. Like cowpox. Yeah. Like the original, I guess, precursor to SARS-CoV, because it jumped from, was it bats? And that's where the term novel comes from, that it because it had jumped, it was now novel. Oh, yes. Yes, I see what you mean, yeah. I'm explaining that poorly, I think. (laughs) It's all right. I know what you mean, as in the virus went from one organism and one species to another. Yeah, it must have developed some mutation that meant it could then get into a host of a different type and replicate itself, I guess. Yeah. I didn't know it was called novel. Novel is just the term for... Hmm, never mind. I was thinking of de novo. I'm getting all these terms. There's so many words though in biology which just sound exactly the same. (laughs) I feel like this might be a point that maybe we should stop talking because we're confusing ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) But I've got to say, I've learned quite a lot about how vaccines were originally developed in the 1800s. And I can see how that would have been very different to what we do now, because we've learned so much in the intervening years. <laughs> yeah, I would be afraid if we ha- if we went for our COVID vaccine and, and there was somebody there with COVID who was just breathing on us and they were like, there you go, there's your vaccine. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. It's definitely given me some food for thought and I'm, I think I'm probably going to start looking up some... Um, what some virologists have to say about this now and i think we'll probably share some links in the uh, show notes so, it's been a slightly mad episode but quite an interesting one because it's a bit mad next week next time i think we'll have something slightly more um down to earth or coherent to say so, uh, <laughs> stay tuned and thanks for listening The views expressed in this podcast belong entirely to the person that said them. They do not represent any industry or organisation. If you enjoyed listening to these views, it would really help us out if you could rate us, leave a review and tell a friend. This podcast was sponsored by no one, but if you're interested in funding us to continue to have frank discussions about science and engineering, please get in touch.